So today we're talking to Ross Munro. He's a director of Middle Years. Let's jump into this episode right now. Welcome back to Whitgift Conversations, the podcast where we talk to staff and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. Come with us as we get into this episode right now. Ross, welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's great to have you here. Um, now, we're recording this on a, on a Wednesday. I'm wondering what a typical Wednesday looks like for you in school. What happens on Wednesdays during term time for you? It really depends on the week. I thought you might say that. <laughs> I mean, in, that, that's a great question to ask a, a sort of a pastoral leader. I have a timetable of lessons, but the, the beauty of this job is you actually never know what's going to happen each day. It, it could be that I teach my lessons, not much happens out of the ordinary and it's a regular day, but anything could happen. Literally, you, you could have students who are really busy, and not busy at all, not working hard enough, being naughty, uh, doing really good things. It, mm -hmm. it could be a whole range of different things. So, yeah, there's certain stuff that's in the diary and you know is going to happen. And then there's a certain amount of stuff that just happens throughout the course of a day. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's partly what makes the job so interesting because you there really are no two days the same. There, mm. there could be anything happening. I, I love the way that you refer to the possibility of children being naughty uh, in, instead of whitewashing with any kind of uh, misconceived conception that actually there are never any naughty children at Whitgift because children are children and children like to push boundaries and, and that's a good thing for them to do. Absolutely. I think what you've just said there, children are children. I often find myself saying that to people in that, yes, we work at a fantastic independent school where there are loads of amazing students but like you said children are children and there are naughty ones lazy ones brilliant ones impressive ones um so you, you get a little bit of everything and my job is interesting because i do often get to deal with all of those things i get to celebrate really good things but then also i have to deal with some things that are not so good as well and and that variety is is part of what makes the job so uh fascinating because as you said you don't know what's happening one day to the next uh, and it's it's constantly changing. Now, in a moment, I'm going to ask you about your role as director of middle years, but also you mentioned about teaching. So so what is it that you teach then? So I am a PE and games teacher. So I've been a sports teacher at Gift for 20 years now. I'm part of the sports department. So I, I am a practical PE teacher, although I only have one class. I have a year eight class this year. So some of my time I'm in a tracksuit teaching PE, maybe basketball, swimming, badminton, things like that. Uh, I also teach one year group of games. So I have a one games class on a Monday afternoon where I take a group of boys off site cycling. We either go to Hernhill Velodrome to cycle on the track or we also go to uh, Merton Saints BMX. So we rotate between those two activities. So those are my kind of two practical classes that I do for PE and games. Uh, and then the rest of my teaching timetable is academic PE. So currently I teach GCSE PE and also uh, year 13 BTEC sports science. So it's a real mix of, of kind of wearing the tracksuit, practical PE, and then academic in the classroom as well. And, and that kind of makes up roughly half my time, the timetable teaching, and then the other half is, is my other role. So how important do you think it is, if you're a member of SLT, a senior leadership team, um, to be also in a teaching capacity as well? Oh, uh, vital. Uh, I mean, I think it's the sort of thing, if 
if you don't know what's going on sort of on the shop floor, you're out of touch really to an extent with, with what it's all about. Uh, we all started as teachers. Uh, funny, you sort of teach less and less as you kind of climb the ladder, but um, I really enjoy my teaching, but it also enables me to see what's going on. So then when I am uh, doing my middle years role, I, I know what it's like to be a teacher. I speak to the students regularly, so I, I'm not detached from that. So it's all part of the same job, really. No, I see. OK, perfect. Now, tell me then about your role as director of middle years. Exactly what is that? So uh, several years ago now as a school, we uh, it used to be that the head of year was had a real responsibility for two year groups of the school but it was about seven years ago now it was slightly changed the structure so that each year group had a head of year and at that point a director of section was also put in place so I am a director of section of year 9, 10, 11 so that is the middle years so mm -hmm. I oversee that whole section of the school but underneath me there is there is a head of year 9, head of year 10, head of year 11 with a deputy assistant so I really help them to do their job um, and, and oversee that that big middle chunk of the school. It's a fairly pivotal time of change, isn't it, for children in years 9, 10 and 11. Tell me about your experience of working with children who are going through that change. I wouldn't say it's the most important because the, the juniors is very important, the sixth form is very important as well. But yeah, that of course, it is a transitional time and it's very noticeable from year nine to year 11 a huge amount of change goes on and it, it as a section it really does straddle that kind of teenage years where a, a, a young boy really does become a young man and and what we see is going back to what we said a few minutes ago th there's probably more silly naughty behavior with the younger ones and then more focus with the older ones towards preparation for exams, GCSEs in year 11, and, and then you've got everything in between. And all of those things happen in all year groups, but there is a sort of a shift in focus as you go up through the school towards public exams in year 11. And there's a, a gradual sort of growing and maturing of the boys as they go through those three years. And it it happens at different times for different people. And, and again, mm. that, that's part of the beauty of the job that no two boys are the same. Um, their experiences are all very different and their journey through this part of the school is very different. Some some have a smooth journey, some not so smooth. And it, mm. it's it's all of our jobs to, to help them get the best from that because it's a, it's a difficult time in their lives. I love the way that you say no two boys are the same. It really highlights the, the individual approach. I, I imagine that the school has. Uh, I mean, this is someone looking in from the outside, but that individual approach that, that teaching staff have to really look out for each of the boys. Um, but but I'm thinking on about, you know, in particular year nine and year 10, when, I mean, anybody who's who has children at that age or who had children at that age and then they're now older, will be aware that there are certainly some days when they when when they tend to not communicate so well, maybe they grunt a little bit instead of being open in their dialogue. How, how do you go about trying to keep a, an open dialogue with, with some of the boys in school? if their natural tendency at that age is to be more sort of, you know, grunt conversation like. I often find myself <laughs> saying to parents that I was a little bit like that as a teenager as well. I remember coming <laughs> home and, and my mum would say, how was your day? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I didn't really say very much. And, and now I'm seeing the other side of it. I often reassure parents, it's totally normal. Like I said, I was like that and, and now I'm perfectly chatty. But 
and here on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, we try. We've got lots of different tools that we try to use, and and as we've said, every boy is different, and and trying to use different tools to unlock different characters is part of the job. So sometimes it will be different students need different people, which who they're willing to open up to, and and some boys have a great relationship with their parents and are very open and and talkative. Others not. But then the trick is to try and find the person who they will open up to. Now, that might be their form tutor. It might be their maths teacher. It might be their cricket coach. It might be one of the catering staff. Or it might be someone in their year group or someone in sixth form. Everybody should have someone. And and that's something I say to people a lot of the time i'm not going to prescribe who that person is and obviously we want everyone to talk to their parents and have good relationships but but sometimes that for one reason or another isn't the case and you want every student to have someone to talk to and and that with obviously a sort of mental health issues in the world at the moment it's so important to stress that that people do talk and and let things out rather than bottling them up so we always tell boys to to have someone and and sometimes that will happen organically they'll they'll form a good relationship with somebody and and the the conversation will begin other times we have to sort of facilitate it a little bit more so maybe introduce people team up a sort of a, a buddy or a mentor maybe a student mentor who we feel that they may get on well with um just to sort of have an ally in the world and and someone who you can chat to and and are happy to offload some stuff to so that approach then must be reassuring for parents if they feel like their son isn't communicating so well, you know, if the parents know that there is someone that they're able to talk to in school and, and at least have some kind of a relationship with, that they're able to express feelings and that kind of thing, then, then that's a great thing. Of course, from a parent point of view, being a little bit selfish on their behalf for a moment, if, if they're finding it hard to communicate with their with their son then of course that there may only be one or two of them in their house and and not a multitude of of options for for that for their son to speak to what 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 recommendations or advice do you have for parents to try to increase the level of communication that they have with their son i think things like the sort of the evening routine of a family i mean i i don't want to tell anyone how to be a parent but I think it's it's sad when I hear that a uh, student comes home, first thing he does is go upstairs to his room and that's where he stays all evening and uh, he has his dinner in there and then we don't see him till the next day. And, and I would say it, it, it's got to be fundamental to the family's way of living to eat dinner together or at least spend some time. Now, I appreciate everyone's lives are different. People have different responsibilities. It's not always possible to do that every day, but I with children myself i think personally it's an important time to spend together uh whether it's eating a meal or whether it's spending some time even watching tv together things like that i think it's really important to spend some time together ideally as a family or whether it may be just sort of one-on-one with a parent and a child uh, every evening just to just to talk to each other just ask how each other's day's gone and and things like that because if that isn't part of a regular routine uh, people start to live separate lives and then that's probably the beginnings of a bit of a breakdown in communication i, I imagine as well possibly a, a level of perseverance or, or patience with, with 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 children 
Because, of course, we can go through that time where we're trying to communicate with them, where they don't want to, where we encourage them to eat with us or watch TV with us or go on a walk with us and they still don't want to communicate. But I imagine that most of the time, eventually, they will open up and they'll start to see some of the enjoyment in that too. Definitely. And and it's very much easier said than done, of course. Mm. Um, and you've got to pick your battles, I think, as a parent as well <laughs> in certain situations. We all know that. You, you can't force it, can you? You've you've got to you've got to try different approaches, to different strategies, and and you've got to find something that people want to do together. And it, it it can't be a chore. It's got to be something that is genuine as well and not forced. I understand sometimes it's harder than others. Uh, some nuts are harder to crack. <laughs> yeah. And and one of those tough nuts, I imagine, for a lot of parents is is the iPhone or the smartphone, whatever phone children have. Um, that, that there's there's a lovely theory that you can have a, a rule in the house, which is that the phone stays on the bottom step and never goes up the stairs and into the bedroom. But trying to enforce that is is really difficult, especially if you're trying to avoid any kind of arguments or confrontation. Um, what, what can parents do just regarding the social media and and the iPhone? Absolutely, this is a. Uh just a massive part of the world isn't it and society that we live in now that that didn't exist 20 years ago and it's technology that is hugely benefiting society in some ways but it's also massively harming in others and having a healthy relationship with it is is absolutely crucial but i say to parents and students you need to agree together, almost a contract and sort of decide, right, this is how it's going to work. You can't ban it altogether because then it becomes sort of driven underground, if you like, and, and that's that's not good for anybody. You need to have an open discussion about why we are all trying to regulate the use of it, why it's healthy and unhealthy, and try and agree some sort of rules or limitations around the use of it. And I find most people, even some of the sort of more resistant students, they, they do get it. They understand that actually it's, it's it's not reasonable or healthy to spend all evening, all night on a phone doing the various things they're doing with it. But to actually set some parameters and agree that with the parents and uh, both parents and students need to understand each other's perspective on this, which is that's something that's fundamental to so many of the conversations I have about understanding different points of view. But agreeing a reasonable amount of time to use it because it, it is the way people socialize so you can't stop it altogether because you're stopping your son communicating with his friends but equally he needs to understand you're not going to spend five hours on it because you're wasting that time and there's lots of other things that need to be done during the course of that evening as well mm. so mm. it's uh, Yes, it's very tricky. It's um, something that is different for different people. Uh, it's quite interesting, actually. I was on a, a school trip in the summer holidays with a, a group of, it was sort of year 9, 10, 11 students. We were in Kefalonia on a water sports trip. And as a fairly standard practice on school trips, we take the boys' phones in during the day, mm -hmm. partly for safekeeping and partly to stop them just wasting time on them. And it was really interesting how in the group some people would hand it in absolutely no problem and they barely wanted to collect it at the end of the day they just weren't fussed and there were others who were desperate to get hold of oh, it oh really gosh yeah so yeah. It, it was just a sort of an interesting social experiment just to see how reliant some people are on it but interestingly the ones who were 
less reliant there was a particular group and they said well look, my mates are all here we're all here together on the trip so then now there's no reason oh, to be on the phone it's and beautiful that, isn't it think, oh yeah, yeah exactly that's fantastic yeah um but it just goes to show sort of it is a it's a social connection which is understandable and we don't want to stop that but we just need to help people find a, a healthy balance and, a, and a, a reasonable amount of time to spend doing it and of course, it's not limited to children. Uh, from a personal example here, I, I went out on a walk uh, last week and, and I realised within the first five minutes, I'd left my phone, my iPhone, I, I'd left it at home and, and, and I, I had a mini panic for a second, but I, I decided not to go back for it. And 10 minutes later, I actually enjoyed that feeling of not having it with me. Uh, and, and the group of us, we went walking for an hour and I didn't think about it once. And actually, it felt good not to have it in my pocket. So, you know, there's there's something for us all. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, let's take it back into school. If, if I if I heard you rightly, did you say you've been at the school for 20 years? I've been a teacher here for 20 years. Um, and prior to that, I was a student. So <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. it has been sort of nearly 35 years on and off <laughs> that I've actually been coming through the gates of Whitgift. Okay, so, uh, well, first up, you don't look nearly old enough to be uh, <laughs> having been a, a teacher at the school for 20 years. Um, but tell me how your role has changed in the time that you've been there at school in the teaching capacity. So uh, I've had a variety of different positions over, over those 20 years, uh, sort of starting as a PE teacher, uh, very much kind of jack of all trades, master of none. Really enjoyed sport when I was at school, had a, had a thoroughly good time and um, so sort of fell into it really. So I was a PE teacher. Uh, I then helped sort of fill a gap and ran the squash program for a couple of years. Not that I was a particular squash master, but it was just it, it, the job needed to be done. Um, so that was the first kind of introduction to a little bit of organisation and sort of management of, of various things to do with a sport. I then, after a couple of years, took over the role of a gap student housemaster. So I, at the time, we had two gap students who came from schools in Australia and New Zealand. And I was their sort of, I call it housemaster. I, I basically lived with them just to make sure that they were sort of behaving themselves because they were only 18, 19 themselves, fresh out of school. They were um, assistants to the sports department. So uh I looked after them and I also managed them within the school uh, and over the course of the next about eight years I managed to increase that from two to four um, and was responsible for recruiting them as well and, and set up a bit of an exchange program so we sent several Whitgift boys over to their schools in Australia and New Zealand to do gap years um, and we hosted them here gave them a job for a year and it was a, it was a brilliant program uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it um, and we've now sort of since moved more to, to graduates doing a, a similar sort of role. Um, so that was a kind of a, a big chunk of my early days. I, I was doing that and that was, again, a bit of an introduction into line management of colleagues, uh, working with, with those guys. And then a bit of a change sort of within the, the sports department, I took on the role of head of outdoor ed. That was a big passion of mine when I was at school. I, I was very active with things like kayaking, rock climbing, mountaineering. Thoroughly enjoyed that. So I I, I took on that position here and set up a wakeboarding club, sort of kind of moved with the time slightly and, and, and brought in a few more sort of recent modern type sports. Um, another colleague set up a mountain biking club. So over the course of the next few years, we were then running some really fantastic weekly clubs and, and foreign trips to mountain bike, to wakeboard. Uh, and that's 
Mr. Green, who is now head of outdoor ed, he did that sort of with me and then's taken it on and taken it to another level again, which is really thriving. Uh, so that was exciting. That was a bit of a phase. Uh, I then, a, a sort of another passion of mine was strength and conditioning, having been sort of very keen on health and fitness myself. I sort of pitched to Ali Osborne, then, then director of sport, that, that we needed to do a little bit more serious strength and conditioning work with our sportsmen if we were to try and compete with the best schools. So for about the next five years, I coordinated strength and conditioning across the range of sort of all sports, really, but, but focusing largely on our, our core sports, rugby, hockey, cricket and got to work with obviously some of our superstar athletes who've come through the school over, over that period of time, which was really, it was very hard work because there was a lot of extra early morning, late night, weekend type training sessions that often go unseen. But I was rewarded by seeing those guys performing at, at a great level and obviously now watching them playing in the premiership and first class cricket, that sort of thing is fantastic. So. That was again another phase uh, and then just after yeah i think about five years of that i i decided i wanted to take a slightly different direction and move into the pastoral system so i was given the position of deputy head of fifth form which at that point was year 10 and 11 combined so i was okay. the deputy to andy marlow who was the head of year at the time and i did that for two years before then taking on the role of head of fifth form which i then did for five years and that brings me to here. So this is my first year as director of middle years. So Gosh, it's yeah. been quite a varied journey over those 20. And I often find myself saying to people, sort of justifying how I've managed to do 20 years, uh, in saying that actually it, it's been so different. I've, I've not done the same thing for 20 years. Whilst I've, I've been mm -hmm. a PE teacher, I've had so many different roles and they've been so varied that... Mm. I don't feel like I've been doing the same old thing kind of week mm. in, week out, year in, year out, because all of those things have been very, very different and equally enjoyable and challenging in different ways. And all of that variety, coupling that with the fact that you attended the school, as, as you said, uh, as a boy yourself, must give you a lot of insight across various different departments and all avenues within school, which is fantastic. Ross, I'm keeping an eye on time here, so we're going to need to bring this episode to a close. But I just want to say thank you for being here. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way they should do that? I'm more than happy to receive email. So uh, Mike at witgift.co.uk is my email address. I'm very proud to be an old boy and a current member of staff and uh, a lot of recent work done by... Um, a guy called Oluwani who's been bringing lots of old boys into the school is something that I've really, really enjoyed because as an old boy myself to then also connect with other old boys, either who I've taught, who come back to the school, that's really, really important. I think that is something that I hope we as a school can continue to build because I and other colleagues who are old Whitgiftians are, are sort of living proof of, of how the journey sort of never ends if you like we're, we're still here or we go away and come back uh, and that I think is a testament to how how great the school is how passionate we all are and how enthusiastic we are about still being here and, and still trying to find more people like us to kind of continue that not not that we think I don't think everyone should have their life goal to come back to Whitgift to work <laughs> it, it certainly wasn't mine but I, I think if if more people can have just great experiences and thoroughly enjoy their their schooling 
they're going to go out into the world and, and just be be happy, successful people. No, I, I love that. I love that. And I love the reference to Oluwani as well. That's Oluwani Akatundi, I think it is. And he was on a previous uh, episode of the podcast back in series two, from memory, episode three from series two. That's back in October 2022. So if anyone's listening to this and wants to jump back to that episode, then do feel free to go back and listen to that because I remember that was a great episode too. But Ross, in the meantime, thank you for being here. It's been great to talk to you. It's been great to find out more about your life and about another aspect of Whitgift School. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's it for this episode. We appreciate you being here. For more information, please do get in touch through the website, whitgift.co.uk. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. Bye for now.